0: this is leah
1: and this is channing
0: and you've reached vessel art is a doorway
1: welcome to episode 19. We want to thank you so much for being with us here on our show, Vessel Art is a Doorway. We know there's countless things that you could be doing with your time, but the fact that you're here with us means so much. We have an absolutely fabulous guest, Danielle Krissa of The Jealous Curator, with us today.
0: It was such a pleasure talking with Danielle. You are really going to enjoy hearing the conversation that we had. One of my favorite parts was talking about the domino effect that art can have on our family because creativity is such a valuable gift. Just that act of using it. One of the things we spoke about was her watching her son grow up and the effect that it's had on him.
1: And once you listen into this Particular interview, we want to hear back from you how you feel about this uh, particular episode. If you agree with some of the sentiments, Danielle, she's been such an inspiration to both Leah and I over the years. And I think you'll find that she'll be an inspiration to you as well. But listening to this interview with Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator. Well, audience, guess what? We have the lovely, inspiring, I don't even know how to put it into words, how grateful we are to have her on, Danielle Krissa, the great author, curator, and artist. Can you imagine that? We, <laughs> Danielle, thank you so much. We, we, we just want to in- introduce you into the show. We're so happy to have you.
2: Well, I'm just going to keep playing that back, that intro back every day. I have a bad day. i am like, oh, God, I am okay. I'm great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, it is such a pleasure to have you. I think before we hit the record button, we just talked a little bit about how I came into contact with you. Leah, she put me on to your podcast about two or three years ago. And ever since then, I've been listening into every episode, and <laughs> you're one of the inspirations into uh, why we started this podcast, Vessel Art is a Doorway. So thank you so much.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. I, I've been on a bit of a hiatus, um, and I had surgery in June, and I didn't think it would be as crazy <laughs> to get better from. Um, and so I kept thinking, oh, I'll just you know take a few weeks off. Well, it's been like three and a half, four months, so... Um, But I'm starting up new episodes pretty soon. So there will be more for you to listen to soon. But, yeah, I just sort of needed to let my body heal and just, you know, rest. So I listened to myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Um, You know, audience, if you haven't heard of Danielle, we would highly recommend that you go and check her out. You can find her on just about any podcast, iTunes or uh apple podcasts or what have you the jealous curator is a very influential podcast we highly recommend that you check it out
2: <laughs> i'm gonna so, hire you guys as my agents <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, definitely <laughs> so so how's the weather out there in uh, good old canada there you go.
2: it is beautiful right now this is my favorite time of year like september october when it's like not blazing hot we live in a a little um sort of pocket desert it's called. So in the summer, it's like hundred degrees every day. And then in the fall, it's so perfect and golden sun. And so that's what I'm living in right now. And I love it before the nice. snow starts.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. i <laughs> yeah. so happy to hear it. I'm sure you've probably been watching the news and hearing all the fires uh, going on in California. <laughs>
2: oh, God. Well, we're in an area that gets a ton of fires, too. So um, mm. we only had one big one this summer that you could see from our deck, uh, which is a bit disconcerting. But yeah, we've been socked in with smoke from California, Oregon, Washington, because oh. we're right below. Mm. or Sorry, right above them. So all the smoke came our way. So between that and... The news. My word. I just try not to turn the TV on these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like w- you prefer to hear the news through Trevor Noah or Jimmy Fallon yes. or something <laughs> like
2: that. I just said <laughs> that to someone. I said, yeah, I need it to be coded in comedy to be able to like ingest it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But it's such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Danielle, could you uh, just, audience, if you don't know about her, you, you have to check out her podcast, and you have to check out some of her books. I believe even some of your books are actually out on Audible, aren't they?
2: Uh, yes, a couple of them are. Um, I know um, your inner critic is a big jerk. I actually got to record it, um, so it's me reading it, and um, and I think that might be the only one. But yeah, they're, they're all out there. There's five grown-up books. And um, I just released my first kid's book, came out a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, so it's out in the world too.
1: That's awesome. So now she's gotten into the, uh, the children's book uh, era. <laughs> and we know that that is not an easy thing to get into. So, you know, we, we, we really want to give you good commendation for that. But uh, <laughs> uh, for some of us who may not know about Danielle, and I don't know what world you're in if you haven't heard about her. <laughs> but could you uh, just tell us a little bit about your background and where you come from?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I am I'm Canadian and I uh, grew up in a tiny little town in British Columbia. And I grew up being the art kid. I was always making something. Um, and then when I went off to school, um, I actually went for marine biology. Did you guys know that? Mm. I, I did first year marine biology um, because it seemed crazy to do art. seemed irresponsible um and but at the end of my first year my phd science dad said um, i think you should switch to fine art Mm. it's who you have been since you were born so i switched but i did not fit in at all had a really hard time the whole the whole three years of fine art was brutal and right before i graduated um, my painting professor said in front of my entire painting class Um, and I was a painting major, um, quote, you should never paint again. Mm. Um, And I listened, unfortunately. I believed it as a truth, probably because of three years of just getting bashed, bashed, bashed. And it was was the straw that broke the camel's back, sort of. And um, so I quit. I became a graphic designer instead and um, worked in design for 15 years and worked my way up to creative director and just, it was a great place to hide out from art because I could convince myself I was being creative because my family was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you making art? And I would protest too much and say, well, I am creative every single day at work. And they were like, no, right. Because they knew it was me that I needed to be making and I wasn't. So when my son was born um, I quit my job and I stayed home with him. And while I was at home with him, you know, watching him really like, you know, when they're two or three and just like, into everything and he was painting his whole body and you know he could be a dinosaur all day mm-hmm. and just stay in character and I just thought oh like, I miss being creative and um but I was just feeling like everything's been done better than I could do it what's the point blah blah blah, blah, blah. and um this was the end of 2008 and my husband said why don't you start a blog mm-hmm. and not not for anyone to read not for anyone else he said just for you because um he, I thought this was so smart he said you know when you keep jealousy inside it becomes toxic it's like a poison and he said but if you can say it out loud in a positive way you can turn it into admiration mm. and so instantly i was like i'll call it the jealous curator <laughs> um and i just started writing daily posts about work that i loved and by saying it in a positive way and by wanting to find work that i could post about as opposed to finding work that i would then compare myself to I mean, it was literally weeks and suddenly I felt so much better. It just felt like a hundred pounds off my shoulders. And that was almost 12 years ago now.
3: Mm.
2: And um, I, so I just continued. And then in, you know, a couple of years in, I got asked to write a book and then another book and TEDx and, you know, so it's kind of just snowballed, but I couldn't even believe when people started reading it because, you know, that was never the point, but it just struck a chord with people because it turns out everyone has an inner critic, everyone gets blocked, even the greats. And uh, there's no shame in it. It just means you're in the club, it just means you're a creative person. So that was the whole story condensed.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> Audience, you, you, you probably can't see it, but she just used some hand gestures where she, she, she just put it all together for us. And that's so beautiful. Uh, so, so, so what you're saying is, is that maybe Charlie was kind of like the catalyst. For the he Jealous
2: absolutely tournament. was. Absolutely was. I always say, like, if I ever, you know, win some big award, I will thank him because had I not a had him and B stayed home and like watched him, he he's 14. Now he is a little creative genius, just in the way that he is in the world, you know, and I, he, so, he totally inspired me and I'm so happy about how that all worked out. You know, I know it's hard for a lot of artists that are mothers, how do you find that time? And and I felt like that too. But if you could tap into what they're doing and sort of like harness—I was going to say steal. Let's mm-hmm. use a more positive word: harness um, <laughs> their creativity for for you. It's amazing. They're they're you know an untapped resource. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's so lovely. Uh, and seeing uh, little Charlie, he he used to be a little guy, but I think I think you just uh, updated us on some information of how, how tall, tall Charlie is. Yeah, he's like,
2: he's six foot two.
1: Oh my god! <laughs>
2: yeah, and I ever since he was a baby, I always kiss him on the top of the head before bed. Yeah. And uh, so the other night, he's walking by me. I'm five seven. He's walking by me in the living room, and um, I was I was going to bed. He was still staying up, and I said, "Could you please bend down? Because I need to kiss you on the top of the head."
3: <laughs> and he, he has
2: to do this big bend over so I can kiss him. But yeah, he's and he's he's still he's not done. So I'm thinking 6'5". is where we're. Going. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah,
1: wow. Well. Yeah, hey, you have to give Charlie a big hug for us and uh, let him know that we, we always enjoy hearing him on your podcast. Uh, a little bit <laughs> yeah. of time that you have with Charlie. Uh, uh, f- friends and family, you really have to check out our episode. It's, it is really adorable when she gets uh, an opportunity to have Charlie interact with some of the artwork and get his, his personal opinion on how he feels about it. I, re- I always enjoy that.
2: Yeah, it's funny because he does it. I think it's because my, I am so artsy that he rebels against the art part, right? Like he's very good in drama, he like he loves all that stuff, but he always says, well, I don't like art because that's mm-hmm. my thing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it is very entertaining to have him on there. I don't know how much longer he'll keep doing it. You know, he's turned 14 this summer, so he might be a little bit like, lame. So I
1: don't know, <laughs> I'll, I'll see
2: how many more times I can get him on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, that's awesome. But- well, well, no doubt. Uh, uh, just tell him that we, we always enjoy hearing from him.
2: Okay, I will. Maybe that'll encourage him. <laughs> so now, what
0: was your first memory of art?
2: Oh, well, my mom is a painter, um, a really, really amazing watercolor painter. And so we always had a studio in our house. The first thing I remember, I was about three and um, God love her. She gave me oil pastels who gives like a two or three year old oil pastels that is a disaster waiting to happen. But, um, and I drew this little, well, it was a giant bird on a tiny little tree. And I remember drawing it and my dad came and look, he framed all my mom's work and he looked over my shoulder and he said, well, we need to frame that. <gasps> oh my gosh. I thought I've made it. And so <laughs> I wrote, I was like, wait, wait. And so I wrote Danielle slash 77 for the year because my mom would always sign with like with the year and he framed it with real glass and a gold frame I still have it in my studio and mm-hmm. I remember thinking I'm an artist just like my mom
3: mm-hmm.
2: but I had like my mom tells stories of when I was you know 18 months and mixing color you know painting it on my high chair and stuff but I don't remember that but I vividly remember drawing this little bird
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's really adorable. Uh, when you think about that, I think you made a, a couple of references to your father. And um, I'm sorry that you've lost your father. Um, mm-hmm. Around the same time, you lost your dad. I lost my dad too, around the same oh. time. So <laughs> I guess, you, you know, we have a little kindred spirit, oh. but just seeing how your your father, he was able to support you and give you that inspiration. What was that like? Could you put that in words?
2: Yeah, you know, in a way, like, now, as a grown-up and as a parent, I appreciate it even more. Um, but you know, growing up, my dad—he was always my biggest cheerleader. Always, always, always. I mean, he pushed me really hard. I'd come home with A's, and he'd want to know why they weren't A pluses. Um, so you know, he always pushed me, but um, he always just believed in me so much. And especially, like you know, when I tell the story about university and being in science and having him call and say, "I think you should switch," is insane. Um, But even in that moment, I remember thinking, wow, like he really believes in me, you know, Um, to switch majors like that. And um, I think that's why I've just had such a hard time with um, his passing, because, you know, he wasn't sick. He was like he was just gone. And um, he has always been my biggest cheerleader. And now if anything happens, like the kid's book comes out or whatever, my first thought is I want to phone him. Because I know he'll be like, yeah, or he'll be reposting it on Facebook or, you know, whatever. And it's just, it's so hard not to have, but, you know, I know he's watching over me. I know he's still my cheerleader. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm very blessed that I had that. Not not a lot of people get that from their parents when that's it comes so to art.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And, yeah. you, know, you know, really, I, I think about the memories that we have with some of our loved ones, how it just stays with us for the rest of our lives. It's almost like, like you said, it's almost like you're having a conversation with your pop. And oh, always. <laughs> you, you know, I do. That, 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 that will always stay with you. And, you know, just seeing the uh, encouragement that he gave you as a child, I think is so, lack of better words, really noteworthy because a lot of artists, they fell. Um, At times, because they may not be getting that support. And I think in some of your publications, and also on some of your podcasts, that's, that's one of the things that you touch on.
2: Yeah, you know that it, I think, because my experience was so different, you know, I had so much support. And then even being in a small town, like I was the art kid, you know, so nobody questioned that I didn't question that. So I didn't realize how many kids are stopped uh, either by parents or grandparents or teachers at a really young, influential age um, are told they can't do it, or it's just a silly hobby or they'll die of starvation or they're stopped in some way. And it breaks my heart. Like what a terrible thing to stop. You know, I mean, all humans are creative and like, why would you stop that? So um, I mean, I'm very blessed that I had that. And, but it's really, you know, influenced the projects I take on now, like the whole point of the kid's book is exactly that Mm -hmm. because when I've written my grown-up books, uh, you know, I'll go on a book tour and sign books and chat with everybody. And in the however many years, five or six years of writing those books, I have talked to like, I'm, I'm sure it's over a thousand people who have told me a story about being told they couldn't do it when Mm -hmm. they, and it's always when they were six, seven or eight, it always seems to be when I was in first grade, I had a teacher say, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, I can either write another book for grown-ups about jumpstarting your creativity, you know, three decades later, or I can sneak around to the front and talk to them when they are six, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they haven't experienced anything negative like that. But if they do, and maybe it'll happen at 20, like it did to me. They'll remember that book that they read over and over when they were a kid that said, you know, yes, you can, Mm -hmm. you can do this. Don't let anybody stop you Um, because it just makes me, it just breaks my heart to hear those stories.
1: Yeah, it Mm -hmm. certainly does. And, you know, I was just thinking even in this time that we're living in doing 2020 has been a year, I think, that none of us will ever forget. <laughs> no,
2: it's one for the history books, all right. <laughs>
1: That's so true. You know, it, 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 even outside of the elections, I mean, just the economic turmoil that has happened. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but really, you know, just seeing how some artists, they may feel defeated in this time. They're are still artworks that are actually being sold. And we never want to take that for granted. I was just with Leah, we just went to the post office and she just melted off uh, something to a client. So, you know, sign paintings is still actually uh, being done. And, you know, we just want to encourage artists to just continue on, wouldn't you agree?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, I, when, it, when the quarantine stuff first started in March, and they were saying, oh, you know, two weeks or so. <laughs>
3: <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I started a little thing on Instagram called the 30-day art quarantine because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you know, this is great. It's like, let's pretend it's like a two-week, three-week residency, right? And um, let's just make stuff. Oh, dear God. And uh, so we did. And then it just kept going and going and going. And so I was full steam ahead at the beginning. And then, and I've heard this from a lot of people too. And then it was just like finding the motivation. I don't know if you guys have found this, you know, finding that motivation, finding like, it's just like, Oh, I'll just stay on the couch. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard to get back up and keep going. And, but I think as creative people, it's what gives us the energy, you know? Mm -hmm. And even if you don't have, like, if all of your shows have been canceled or Whatever I've been trying to use this time to try new things. Well, that's how we started chatting actually, it was about Clay. Did you guys see what I posted on Instagram today?
1: Oh, we but have to check it, it out. Look it. <laughs> oh,
2: look, you'll be so proud of me. I, okay. So oh, so- did you do
1: that? Oh, I think- wow. That is such a beautiful...
2: It's a peony, just so you know. That is so
1: beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have... Black clay, huh?
2: Well, it hasn't been fired yet. So, um, but so Susanna Montague, she's a a ceramicist in um, British British Columbia. She's amazing. And so you guys know, anybody that listens to my podcast knows, I've been yapping about wanting to try clay for the longest time. But I'm also secretly scared because I've never done it. And it seems intimidating to me. And so Susanna had had enough and she just mailed me some chunks of clay and was like, here, stop talking about it and just do it. So I've had the clay sitting in my studio for four months. So today was the first day I made something. Very exciting. But all of this to say, that's what I'm trying to use this super weird time for is to be like, okay, my regular work isn't showing because all my shows got canceled. So I'm going to use this time to experiment and to try new things that may or may not work. And Um, as creative people, like we love assignments, right? So I've been telling people, give yourself an assignment, even if it's to do a sketchbook or make it a daily challenge or to try a medium you've never tried before, because, um, it's the only way I've been able to keep moving forward, um, and, and have the energy to be excited in the morning to, to go to the studio because otherwise it can be a bit like, especially if you turn the news on first, don't do that. (laughs) <laughs> you don't turn the news on <laughs> go straight to the studio so yeah i i totally hear you like it's it's been um a, a really weird year for everyone and i think artists are having a particularly hard time
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think everyone's trying to it's it's like everyone's trying to figure out a way to move forward but i think everyone's routine is just so out of whack and it's like our minds are trying to process what's what's happening and then at the same time we're like no you need to create. And so, it's, but I think it's good. Like what you were saying, I love all those exercises because it's, I think it's, that's also healthy for even healing and dealing with what we're dealing with is just trying to find a way to channel all those feelings that we're having into work or just creativity. So
2: just something positive. Cause I find everything is so negative. And then like, I just you know, I just, and you're probably the same too. I just come out of the fog of losing my dad. I was just starting to feel like motivated to like do regular stuff again and then quarantine hit. Mm-hmm. And then I had my surgery in June and it's taken, I'm at 16 weeks now and I'm still not fully recovered. And it's just like, I can't take it, <laughs> you know? And I was um my son was being homeschooled in the spring and it was just like, thank God he's going back to school. But um, it's just been, you, you factor all of that, in, and then yeah, you're supposed to be creative. Mm-hmm. When? How? It, it, you know, it's just so overwhelming. And um, But I've been not, that's why I say like, I don't put pressure on myself to like the clay peony. I mean, it doesn't need to go to, you know, MoMA. Right. <laughs> it can just exist. And it was fun. It just felt like being a kid and I tried something new and I got messy and it was great. You know, that's what I think people should be doing. I don't think they should feel the pressure that "Mm, they need to be working on a new series that's going to do something. You know, maybe it will, Mm -hmm. maybe it won't. And I think that's fine. You know, my whole thing has been looking for silver linings Mm -hmm. the best that I can because, it feels like there is not a silver lining to be seen. So I'm working very hard to look for the positives. And so, you know, with this surgery of mine, I, I, that, that's the new body of work I'm doing. is all about, you know, having these lumps and bumps that were removed from my abdomen. I'm trying to turn them into beautiful lumps and bumps and crystals and, you know, um, trying to turn it into art that makes me happy as opposed to a scenario that makes me sad. Yeah,
1: Yeah, very inspirational. And talking about some of your background really helps us to kind of get a a better understanding of where you come from. You know, here you started off in marine biology. Uh, (laughs) You know, we we, we talked about when you were a child, um, how your parents, uh, they gave you those three oil pastels. Now, (laughs) what what, what do you think about that? Um, Have you always felt that you were an artist?
2: Yes, I did. Um, It was very much wrapped up in my identity. All my Christmas gifts and birthday gifts, everything were all art related um craft kits and whatever so that's why it was so shocking to get to art school and so drastically not fit in mm-hmm. and have every crit be really like just negative because I was the art kid like what was going on so um and then I took this giant hiatus like almost two decades of not making anything and if I did make things I would throw them away mm-hmm. literally I would make something and the next morning throw it away because I just I thought no you you're never supposed to paint again. Don't let anyone see that you're trying. I, I was mortified, you know, and my my husband, um, then my boyfriend, he had no idea that I was making stuff. Mm. I would just do it quietly, you know, and, and I mean, so it was really hard to try and find my way back to being the art kid. And it was actually the jealous curator like that. It's been like complete self-therapy. And, you know, even writing the books is like, <laughs> I joke at the beginning of my first book, the intro says, you know how people who have issues end up studying psychology um, because they just want to help themselves. I think the reason I write books about creative blocks and inner critics is because that is my issue.
0: <laughs> I need to yeah, fix it.
2: You know, so it's been a long journey, but I finally feel like the art kid again.
0: So I think we talked a little bit about this. I was trying to remember if we talked about it while we were recording or not, but tell our audience, like what prompted you to start The Jealous Curator?
2: Um, well, it was, um, it was Charlie. Um, it was, um, I think because I was truly jealous of everyone. I was not only of people who were like showing their work and selling their work and had a studio, but just people that were making because I wasn't even making. So I was genuinely angry at, at so many people. Um, and every time I tried to do anything, I'd be like, I'd find something online and be like, Oh, look, it already exists. Mm-hmm. What was the point? What, you know? And so, um, that was the catalyst. And again, like my husband is a social media specialist <laughs> and so the, he was the one that was like, you need to just start this. And, um, one of the huge things, not only the therapy of it and the, the trying to turn the negative into the positive was also looking for patterns. He's a com major. They look for a lot of patterns. And so he said, why don't you, you know, start collecting all the work you love and look for a pattern because I did not have my own artistic voice. Mm-hmm. Whatever I'd find, I'd copy. And I'd be like, Oh, I like that. Oh, and then the next day, I'd find something completely on the other side of the spectrum and I'd go and copy that. And I couldn't figure out what my voice was.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he said, if you visually collect all this stuff somewhere, in a vessel oh see how i did that (laughs) um and he said you know you'll start to see and i I did i started to realize that oh i like things that have you know a wink to them or you know i always love this color palette or i love things that blur the line between art and craft and as i started to see that it kind of helped me harness what i wanted to make Mm -hmm. in my own way as opposed to copying anybody you know so um yeah, it kind of came from this crazy, confused time in my life and then really focused everything in, which I'm so grateful for.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're grateful for you uh, creating it because no <laughs> doubt you're inspiring uh, so many different people. You know, I was just thinking about some of the artists that you've collected over the years, to be on this show from, uh, I believe I heard um, Andy J. Pizza. That's one of my yeah. favorites. You know, he's such a crazy guy, To <laughs> Um, uh, Ashley Longshore and all of this so what, what, what do you think you know here I think about you're familiar with Seth Godin's work right yeah and mm-hmm. Seth he always uses a term he says people like us do the do getness." let me get my let me get my mouth right <laughs> <laughs> people like us do things like this and you know really in in essence the podcast itself is a extension of an art form wouldn't you say
2: yeah you know i didn 't go into it thinking that, but it absolutely is especially for me because um I have always been a storyteller, as you guys can see. my answers are like ridiculously long for every question that you have uh, <laughs> i've always been a storyteller, and um, for me that that 's what the podcast is it 's so narrative and the way i talk to my guests as I basically do it chronologically. Like I I start with when they were children and I work my way up to present day. (laughs) And I think it's, I mean, I minored in art history. And so my favorite part was always learning about the story behind the artists. And so when I started this podcast, I was like, these people are all still alive. The thing with art history is they're all dead. So I can't ask any follow-up questions. And, you know, um, with these guys, I can be, you know, they can answer a question. I can go, whoa, 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 but why? And they'll tell you. And I feel like all of these podcasts, like, you know, what you guys are doing, what I'm doing, what Andy's doing, um, we're making like, this is going to be history one day,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and we, it's like, we're capturing all of this as a time capsule, you know, and being able to talk to people, especially like you said, 2020 is something, um, to be able to talk to artists during this insane time, and find out how they were feeling, find out what they were making. Were they making political work? Were they making personal work? Was it the quarantine? Was it black lives matter? Was it, you know, the election? Like what, what were they doing in this moment? And, and we're capturing it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's so cool. It is, yeah, it, cool. Is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is cool. So how,
0: with your creative process, how do you approach it? Do you start from an emotion or do you uh, experiment and, and then kind of like, navigate from the experiments?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, it's very much a progression. You know, I think um, I always tell people to make a lot of crap. (laughs) You got to make a lot of junk before you get to the masterpiece. (laughs) So I try not to put pressure on myself. I'll usually have an idea, you know, like dealing with this stuff for my surgery. So I have that in my head. And then I'm like, you know, how am I going to do that? So I let it roll around in there. And then I just start experimenting and lots of the experiments end up in the garbage, you know, Mm. Um, but I just let them evolve. I think is a, is a nice word, you know, and um, I'm working on these pieces now that are the biggest ones I've ever done. Um, they are costing a lot of money to make which is super scary because I have no home for them. I don't have a show lined up. I don't have buyers lined up, but they're kind of the culmination of everything I've done thus far. Mm-hmm. And probably the one I'm working on right now won't ever show anywhere because I bet it will evolve from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and have, being okay with that has been a huge learning curve and life lesson, you know, and I think artists, like people feel like they need to sit down and make a masterpiece. hmm And if you put that pressure on yourself, I can guarantee you're not going to make a masterpiece, you (laughs) know? And so you have to be okay with making the thing. Maybe you hate all of it, but the top corner is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow you start with whatever that top corner was and go from there and go from there and go from there. So for me, it just feels like a continuous evolution and, I don't think I'll ever be done. I think it'll just keep going for my whole life.
1: Yeah, yeah, please, please do.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I think I think we've talked about how you've had an impact on us, you know, seeing your creative process, seeing your vision and different things like that. So obviously you're affecting people's lives. Right? Mm-hmm. You affected both of us. Which is life, surreal,
2: lives. which is very weird to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but have you ever seen maybe... um how maybe some of your, your clients, or maybe perhaps people who engage with some of your art forms, how your work has had an impact on their lives, other than us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, the jealous curator with the books and everything, I get emails and messages all the time from people saying, you know, I, I hadn't made in 10 years, and I read your book, and I started making again, or I listened to your podcast, and I'm finally, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do it again. And it makes me so happy because, you know, when I had that 15 to 20 year hiatus, I felt like I was the only one that that had ever happened to. Mm -hmm. How narcissistic is that? I I just didn't realize that other people had that experience. I, and to hear people go, oh God, I stopped. But because of you, I started, it's just like, oh my gosh. You know, if I can help people avoid the giant gap in time that I had, Like what a colossal waste of time. So if I can help people, you know, realize that they can just be creative because they want to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's so exciting. And, you know, I I was able to do a TEDx talk a few years ago when I was supposed to do um, TEDx Nashville in March. I was so excited and it got canceled. Um, And uh, of course, like everything else, but um, those opportunities are amazing because you don't know who you're impacting, right? You just tell your story, And then you hear maybe a year later, maybe five years later, somebody will reach out and go because of this X, Y, and Z happened. And I cry at my computer all the time because I can't believe that I get to be part of people's lives like that. Like it is, it's such an honor, you know? And if you told me that when I was so sad and spiraling and thinking, you know, I would never make again to, to now be here is insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just think of the jerk who told you not to paint anymore.
2: (laughs) I know. You know what else he told me? Um, I've been um, I'd always brought humor into my work because I'm hilarious. And uh, (laughs) he had said to me again in my fourth year, um, he said, look, it's bad enough that you're a woman. Mm. um, But if you actually bring humor into your work, too, you'll really never be taken seriously as an artist. Right. And so I thought, well, I can't do anything about being female. So I stripped all the humor out of my work and it wasn't until 2015 that I started bringing the humor back. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people that all the time, like if you're quiet, make quiet art. Mm -hmm. If you're weird, make weird art, you know, like don't feel like you need to follow the trends or what some random teacher told you, you know, like the point of art is expressing yourself. So if yourself is funny, that's what your work should be. If yourself is shy, that's what your work should be, you know? And, and then that gives you so much more ownership. And when you do head into the studio or the dining room table or wherever you make, it gives you empowerment because you're like, there's no tricks. It's just you and you know, you, so all you have to do, Hey, that's like Seth Godin. All you have to do is get in there and just be you and um, you can't fail.
0: I like that too, because I, just so many like self-limiting beliefs and it just crushes creativity (laughs) and it does And I think there's even like studies on the brain. Like when you say you can't, I can't like your brain literally like shuts down, like Mm -hmm. the creativity process just stops. So like what you're saying is, so it resonates too, because even though we are all different, we all have a lot of commonality. So just like you mentioned, the way you were feeling, you found all these people, including us who felt the same way as you did. And then it's the same way. If you're quiet and you make quiet art, there's quiet people who are going to, that's going to resonate with them. And so it's yes. like when, the more we are like, you know, get to the root and the truth of who we are and just try to put that into the work, it's going to resonate with someone.
2: Yeah, you're going to find your community of other artists, you're going to find your community of collectors, you know, the right galleries to show at. Like all of that stuff when you're when you're trying to be something different, you're just never ever going to fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I when when blogs were huge like in the, you know, 2009ish time, I'd often do talks and people would say, how do you start a blog? You know, cause there was so much money for design blogs. Yeah. And I said, don't start, don't start a design blog or an art blog because you think it's trendy. You have to, you guys know, like with the podcast, it is so much work. So you need to love it. So I said, you know, if you love rock gardens, if rock gardens are your jam, that's what your blog should be about. And you will find the other rock garden, you know, fanatics. Don't write it about something that you think is trendy because uh, your blog will last about three weeks and then you'll be bored. (laughs) (laughs) It goes with your artwork, right? Like you have to be making things that inspire you. Otherwise, you're just not going to do it. You know, Netflix will take precedence every single time. So it has to be something you really care about. So what, what can you think of
0: one experience that stands out of somebody who like at an art, one of your art shows or even people who've seen your art online but that just an experience that of how they've responded to your work?
2: Well it's getting really exciting right now like well for a while there I was just doing really funny work it was they were like a swoosh of paint and a little cutout guy and a really funny title. Mm -hmm. People love that stuff because it's accessible Mm -hmm. you know like what you guys were saying at the beginning like making art accessible is so important right like letting everybody know that that there's a place for them and I think that art did that because it didn't feel scary. Like walking into a white walled gallery, you know, you're supposed to have your masters to understand it. Everyone could understand that work. Um, and then now with doing this stuff that's sort of about, you know, my hysterectomy and like women's health, I've had so many women, they very rarely comment. They DM me privately (laughs) and say, Oh my gosh. And they tell you their story in its entirety because they know you get it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, So that's been really um, nice, because I've been feeling really alone. And of course, zillions of women have have gone through this. But when you don't talk about it, you don't know that. So you feel like you're the only one that feels a little bit empty and a little bit lost. And then, um, so again, you know, making the silver lining, putting the work out there, so vulnerable to, do Instagram posts of work about your uterus. Um, but then to get these amazing messages from women who want to support me, who are like, don't worry, I had mine five years ago. I feel great now. Like, um, people who are about to have surgery and are terrified. And um, exactly what you're saying, Leah, like you find this community that I didn't have six months ago um, because of art. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been really um, amazing, actually, to, to find those people.
1: Yeah, what I'm hearing from you is just do you. (laughs) Yeah,
2: do you. I mean, who else are you going to do? Like, you can't fake it, right? Like, you have all that information. You've got all your background stories. You can pull on things from when you were a child, from when you were a teenager, from last week. Like, you have all that information. Mm -hmm. There's nothing sneaky or tricky or, you know, you don't have to do research. It's just you. And, um you know, I, um, that's one of the reasons I had such a hard time in art school. It was the early (laughs) nineties. It was, you were supposed to show up in black boots and dark makeup and be super Mm. angsty. (laughs) I grew up in a lovely middle-class family, you know, I had no problem. So I got there and I was like, Oh, should I quickly get addicted to drugs? Like, I don't know what to do here because (laughs) I, and I felt like I had nothing to draw on. And so when I did try and draw on my juicy fruit you know commercial growing up it was wrong to them mm-hmm. everything had to be dark and angsty but like you can't fake that I just started buying lots of black paint and just painting really dark paint. I was like is that right did, did I do it <laughs> yeah. and uh, so yeah it was really hard because I, it wasn't being accepted for me to make the art that was based on my experience yeah. and so you know I'm, I'm trying to cut people off at the pass here and be like don't waste that time like just do you like just yeah
1: exactly and we know that uh since you've gotten up the courage to actually start this jealous curator you've written five books um you've even uh, curated some uh fabulous art shows i believe uh you and leah i think you guys are at one of the same galleries that 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 own uh uh, works at
0: Yeah. I think you curated yeah. for BJ. I did.
2: Yeah. Oh, that was an all women show. It was really cool. And I didn't get to go. No. I really wanted to go for the opening and I didn't get to go. Oh, that's cool. Your work's there. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for certain. Like they, they did a show like a few months ago and I had some work in
2: that. Show. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So cool. awesome. But, but where else has this podcast, uh, some of these uh, lovely things that you're doing uh, now that you started off a children's book, Where's this journey uh, led you to to, to go?
2: I don't know. (laughs) You know, I've always, um, I mean, I am a planner. I am very type A. There's a lot of, you know, binders and folders. But with Jealous Curator, I've always tried to be very organic. And again, watch for those patterns, right? Like all of my books have come from the book before and watching the patterns. Like um, I have a book called um, A Big Important Art Book Now with Women.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because when I was doing the book tours for the other books, I started, I just noticed this pattern coming up again and again about women. And we, we got into all these conversations about not being represented, um, not only in our history books, but in the galleries right now, like how mm-hmm. can it be now? And we still don't. So I was like, I'm going to write a book about women artists. I pitched that book in 2017, right before Me Too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I got rejected by five publishing houses because they said nobody would want to read a book about women. Wow. <laughs> in 2017. So anyway, it only takes one. So Running Press published it. But, you know, so same with the, the the kids book came out of all of this. So I don't really know what's next. And in this super weird, nothing is happening moment, like I should be on a book tour right now. I'm in my pajamas. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. And so, you know, I don't know what's next. Um, But I'm watching for patterns and seeing, you know, oh, maybe video, seeing how we're all now on video, maybe a YouTube channel, like I have no idea. So what I've been trying to do is just concentrate on my own artwork and making clay peonies and whatnot. So I'm just trying to take a breath. Um, and let the universe lead me you know granted I'm super type A so I let the universe lead me and then I'm like, come on universe let's speed <laughs> this, let's speed this up and, and get some projects underway. So honestly right now I don't know if I figure it out, I will um, message you guys and tell you what's next. Yeah
3: that
1: would be awesome But uh, w- when you think about how art has influenced uh, so many people's lives, uh, so many people that's one of the things that we like to talk about because a lot of people they take things, for granted, like, for instance, the signs on the on the street corner or maybe even the way that a building is created. Uh, how do you think art has influenced you? I I, I think we talked about, a little bit about it in this in this episode, but we want to just kind of highlight that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you what do you think art has been like in your life? Or what- would
0: your life have been the same with without art in it? What do you think? Oh,
2: God, no. I'd just be so sad. <laughs> um, well, and especially for me, being a designer too, um, and being a brand specialist and a communication specialist, you—you you, fonts, you know, signage, like you really like color choices, all of that stuff is—it's everywhere. What you're wearing right now, what your house looks like, the magazines that you choose to pick up versus not pick up—it's all art. Um, and what I, you know, my whole jam is making things accessible, making people feel like. They don't have to have gone to art school to feel like they can be part of the art world. And, um, um, Leah, I think you were saying that, I think it was before we recorded, but it's so important for people to feel like they're part of that. And if they just skew their perspective a little bit, they'll see that they already are. Like you use star Wars as the example, right? If you are a star Wars, do you know how much art goes into making star Wars? Um, and I always tell Charlie this too, you know, um, he loves Wes Anderson oh yeah so when we watch west i mean that's just art that moves around um whenever we watch stuff like that i'll point out like look the font on everything is the same like the book covers and the signage and whatever like he made a conscious choice to pick you know helvetica new for the entire you know and i'll say to him what what color palette do you think this next movie will be because Mm. every one of it you know he has a color palette for each movie so if you pay attention to that and then you can infuse it into your own life or just appreciate it um so, I mean, I can't even imagine my life without art in it. I mean, I tried to get rid of it for a while and I was grouchy and, <laughs> you know, I was just not myself and my, uh, you know, thank goodness for my husband just saying like, you know, what life's too short, mm. like go just, you know, make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. And it's just, I feel so healed and so happy that it's back in my life. Um, you know, again, I may never show at MoMA, that's okay. I'm so happy. I made that peony on my kitchen table today and I'm like, woohoo! I posted it to Instagram. (laughs) Look what I made. And you know, you feel like you're six again. And I I just want everyone to feel that joy, whether they go to art school or they don't, or they make a macaroni necklace or they, you know, paint a six foot painting. Whatever it is, you know, just let it be in your life.
0: Now, how how have you seen it influence your son as he grown as he's grown up, whether he realizes (laughs) it or not?
2: Well, like I said, he he purposely Says that he doesn't like art. He's never been a big drawer. He he did a little bit when he was little, but um, he I think he's going to be a movie director, honestly. Um, and uh, he when he was little he would act out these scenes that he made up, and he would make us we had lines, and if we got it wrong, we'd have to do it again, and it was always right before bedtime, and I would say to my husband, "You get your lines right because I need to go to sleep." (laughs) hit every mark and uh and then um you know now he's he's really good in drama and um he loves all that stuff so we'll see i got to speak at pixar um Uh a couple of times to their creative department which is surreal um but they invited us to come back when the good dinosaur came out to to a um, friends and family um viewing and so we went to the Pixar campus in San Francisco and Charlie was nine at the time. And uh, so we watched the movie, which was so cool. And then afterwards, my friend that works there was like, well, let me give you guys a tour. And it was Saturday, so there's no one there. We were there for five hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, Vincent said to Charlie like, oh, you know, do you, you, know, do you think you'd ever want to work at Pixar? Like, do you, you know, do you like drawing? And he said, oh, I, I'm not very good at drawing. I, I like writing stories. And Vince said, well, let me show you the story writing department. You should have seen his eyes just like bug out of his head. And so he took him to the story department and he showed him how it gets written. And then they work with the art directors to come up with the kit, you know, and we left there. And he said, mommy, that was the best day of my life. Oh. oh wow. Wow. And so I always say, if nothing, if the jealous curator leads to nothing else except that day, I am so proud as a mom that I, because yeah. of what I do, I got to expose my kid to this insane opportunity. And for him to see that like regular people work at Pixar, Mm -hmm. you know, I never, you know, it seems that stuff seems so out of touch and like you could, you know, imaginary people work at Pixar, Um, Mm -hmm. but for him to go, oh my gosh, and there might be like a place for me because I like writing stories. And so it's really interesting and, you know, now he's heading into his teens. So I'm sure it'll change 12 times over before he, you know, Mm -hmm. even goes off to college, but I know he'll always have some kind of creativity, creativity in his life just because- that's just who he is. It was there since he was born. So I, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it manifests. I'm not sure yet. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I yeah. think it was Andy Andy uh, Pizza Andy J Pizza who mentioned that in the time of crisis, uh, like for instance this year, the first thing that everybody turned to was art, and that comes in the forms of, of Netflix, HBO, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so sure. that in itself is, you know, storytelling. That in itself is a form of art. You know. So, yeah.
2: People were coloring, like there was no tomorrow, all these things. It's like a meditative release, you know? And I often say, you know, when we were little, we just made stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd walk home from school and find a weird rock and you'd come home and paint it just because, and you didn't care if galleries were accepting rocks. You didn't care if, you know, you were trying to get into your master's program. So you were going to do a portfolio of rocks. You just painted them. And so I think if nothing else, we could use this time to just do that. Just paint a rock just feel like a kid again, you know, and like Andy said, like, just that's what people are turning to. And it's very, um, it's cathartic. And it's kind of like just feeling like a kid again and being like, I'm just going to do this because it's fun. And I need a break from reality.
1: That's so true.
2: And I really like what you said too, because as far
0: as when you have adults in your life, when you're a child and they're creative and you see what they do, then it just opens, I don't know, it even opens up your world even more as far as the possibilities. So mm-hmm. I really like how you mentioned that. It's like, you know, okay, maybe the piece that I'm working on may not go to MoMA. But, you know, like it's even opened up. One of the the uh, beautiful things about just doing and just making is it opens the door of possibilities for the little ones in our lives.
2: Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I try with Charlie all the time to make sure that he knows that anything's possible, you know, just cause he doesn't want to create the way I create. That's fine. He can create in his own way and there's ways to do it and we will support him and help him. You know, not that I want to send my kid off to Hollywood, oh. but you know, if that's where he wants to go, we will su- absolutely support what he wants to do.
0: Yeah. But it's such a valuable skill, too, because even um, one of the books that we talk about is one called A Whole New Mind. Yeah. Daniel Pink. Dan- Daniel Pink. Yeah. He talks about how even like Yale has they have something called narrative medicine where they have doctors that have taken painting classes because it helps them learn how to, I guess, look for the fine details more. And yeah. it also when they hear they've done studies where when they hear their the patient tell like why they got sick and things like that. They're able to pick up more fine details to have a more holistic approach to it than otherwise. Like it just makes better doctors, better scientists. And so it's just amazing how that, that creative muscle is so valuable. And so, you know, okay, we may not be going to MoMA, but maybe you know we're we're helping somebody or even honing our own skills to be better at whatever else what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I really love that. Mm-hmm.
1: So you know we enjoy your book so much. I think we were driving up and down the coast uh, one day on Highway One and we listened to it together. Mm-hmm. And you know seeing now that you've um, y- you just start coming out with some children's book. Uh, Leah she's actually planning on having a virtual art session using some of the techniques Uh, oh Oh, good yeah what (laughs) are some of the reasons would you say you feel that this this new book for children is so important for them
2: um it's sort of you know what I was saying before the whole point of it is to make them realize that the tagline I wrote for the pitch when I was trying to sell it to a publisher was a book about being an artist even when someone tells you not to be Mm -hmm. that's what I really wanted it to be about. And I wanted them to identify themselves. So, you know, there's like stuff saying that, you know, if there's glitter all over your house, an artist lives here. If there's magazines with holes instead of pictures, an artist lives here. Um, And then the inner critic shows up partway through the book and causes some trouble because I want to, you know, when I got my inner critic, I was 21, and I didn't know that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So I want them to know, yeah, there's this little art bully. And he might show up and he might be a jerk, but you know how you get past him? You just keep making stuff. So I really wanted to, it's basically all of my grown up books <laughs> distilled into about, you know, 150 words on 40 pages. It's everything I always talk about. It's about blocks, it's about wearing the artist badge with pride, it's about getting past your inner critic, um, but just in the language that hopefully, you know, six seven eight-year-olds can understand and i've had so many parents (laughs) message me and say oh my gosh i burst out in tears because of my own issues (laughs) with creativity and my four-year-old's looking at me like what is wrong with you lady (laughs) it's funny because i wanted it to impact the reader the grown-up too because all of us can identify whether we're six or 96. um so yeah that that's the whole point of it and i I hope that there's a whole series of kids' books. You know, I we'll see how this one does. But if it does well, I I hope I can convince somebody to let me do another one.
1: Yeah, people, I, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, this new book. But I, I think back uh, to even your book that you wrote about the inner critic and how you tried to characterize uh, your inner critic. I believe you gave him a name.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this was, this came from a kid. I um I was teaching a workshop for theater students, high school theater students. And I was writing that book, Um, Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk. And I don't love the term inner critic because it already sounds so negative. So like, how can you make friends with it? Like, how can you Mm -hmm. learn to work with it? Because it's not going away. So you have to become allies in some way. (laughs) Um, So I asked these kids, like, how, you know, what do you guys call it? So there were swear words and all sorts of mini me and different things. And this one kid put up his hand and said, I call mine Arlo. I thought that was the best thing I'd ever heard in my life. So I stole that. And so now I call mine Arlo. So now when I do workshops, I tell people name it because when it's just this negative dark, like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. You think it's you, Mm -hmm. but if you personify it and name it like Tim, um, it's just Tim Mm -hmm. having a bad day and being a jerk. And you can be like, you know what, Tim, you need to go sit in the corner because I'm busy doing something right now. (laughs) And so, um, it that again was just like a happy accident that came out of a conversation with with an art with a theater artist you know and and he said that and I was like that is brilliant Mm -hmm. um you know so I tell people like a lot of people name it after their mothers anyway (laughs) um but like name it Mr. Fuzzy Bunny name it something totally not threatening so that when it ramps up and you hear it you can separate yourself from it and go it's just Fuzzy Bunny I'm gonna keep going
0: Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so i know you mentioned that some of the things have been canceled but are there is there anything new or upcoming that you have going on or should they, do you want the audience just to really pay close attention to instagram and also <laughs> where can they find your amazing
2: book um they yeah just pay attention to instagram i'm mm-hmm. on their way too much um everything is canceled but silver lining um like I was supposed to be doing a book reading in Brooklyn at Books Are Magic at the beginning of September which of course couldn't happen but they invited me onto their IGTV channel mm-hmm. and 4500 people have watched it wow and if i had done a book you know event at the store like 30 people would have come mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. silver lining and i was in my pajamas the whole time so comfortable didn't have to fly didn't have to stand in a customs line so there are good things like that so i'm and i always post that on instagram if there's a reading or i'm gonna do some workshops coming up like some um um ig live you know um workshops which i think will be really really fun um what was the other thing oh where can you find my book everywhere it's very exciting so it's on. you can buy it online like amazon or whatever but it's also at barnes and noble and um for people like, you know, far away, Australia, whatever you can find it on, um, fish pond. So it's, it's available literally everywhere, which is very, very exciting.
1: Awesome. yeah, And and, and it'll definitely be in our show's notes. Yeah. uh, Thank you you so much. But Danielle, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. Um, you're, you're one of our inspirations and to, to, to have you with us means so much. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: No, I, I'm, this was exactly what my ego and my anxiety ridden self needed was uh, this really fun chat with you guys. Thank you for what you do, too. I mean, it's amazing that you get, you know, you introduce your audience to so many people doing so many different creative things.
1: Oh, So good.
0: It was really nice talking to Danielle. I really enjoyed when she talked about the effect that art had on her son, how he kind of feels like he doesn't really like art. But because of her example of being a creative, and I'm sure her husband as well, it's just nice to see how that kind of filters into the way her son approaches storytelling or theater or how he is interested in making movies And to me, it really brings in the fact how valuable creativity is as an ability. And it's funny, because even people who collect art, the way they even approach putting the works together inside of their home and build collections, they kind of use that same muscle. So also, when we were talking about from the medical standpoint, from just other areas of life, other areas of work that may not directly be related to art, Even having somebody creative on that team or just even honing in those abilities ourselves, just as a a point of problem solving of being able to see past the surface of a situation. It's just interesting to me to see how valuable that is.
1: Yeah, that was amazing hearing How her professor, when she was 21, how he basically told her not to ever pick up a paintbrush ever again. And I remember, Leah, when you told me back when you were in art school, how maybe one of your professors said something similar.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's so sad that it's like I'm not the only one that that has happened to, or she's not the only one that that's happened to. But yeah, I had a professor. It was during a portfolio event where we have to show a portfolio before we graduate. And it was interesting because, to me because the drawing was on laying on a desk, and this particular teacher was across the room. So really without her actually looking at the drawings, she just laughed and like she told me that I couldn't draw. I don't know what she was looking at, but she wasn't looking at my drawings. But it was just interesting how sometimes that environment, I know all environments aren't necessarily like that in art schools, but, and fortunately the other teachers didn't necessarily take that same attitude that she had uh, when it came to looking at the art. But um, it's just kind of sad that some people feel like they need to be like that. I, I don't know if they're trying to push you or they feel like somehow that'll like draw more better creativity out of a person. But yeah, it's just not it's not a good feeling when that happens. And I really appreciate Danielle, the way she's approaching her books to to help people not listen to that. And to just keep going anyway and what's one of the things i really like too is that she mentioned when you work you know nobody has to see it or you don't ha- it doesn't have to be a masterpiece that's going inside of moma or anything like that just enjoy the process and honestly i feel like over and over again when you're just in that that part of your your creativity just trying to access that that truth of yourself or You know, going through, like there's a lot of people, they approach the making work in a different ways. But when you work from that standpoint, many times you create works that are are very strong and or people respond to them, even though once you get in that habit of just making work, The work ends up becoming stronger and stronger or people may respond to something that you may not have thought of.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things I really enjoyed about this particular interview was hearing how Danielle, she persevered despite uh, some adversity coming her way and how through her perseverance, how it's led to opportunities in life. And I know if you're listening into this particular episode, you can think about 2020 as being a a rather interesting year for just about all of us. I think we've all been impacted with what's happening in the world today. But we hope that this has been uh, some form of inspiration to you, seeing how Danielle has pushed and persevered despite difficult things coming up her way and how it's led to opportunities for instance, she said she was able to speak at TEDx or even at Pixar, seeing the impact that her work has had on, on her son and her family even was also uh, amazing as well. But we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening into this podcast because we know that you could be doing countless things with your life. But the fact that you're here with us just means so much. Thank you for listening in to Vessel, Art is a Doorway.